Hello and welcome to a new episode of Pat's Chat. Today I have a new guest, an awesome guest, Jan Wong is here with me. Hi Jan, how are you today? Hi Pat, I'm good, I'm good. Good in a crazy time. <laughs> Absolute crazy time and I'm really happy you found time uh, joining me today. Uh, a small introduction, I would say serial entrepreneur. TEDx speaker, Yelf advocate, and also uh, Forbes 30 under 30 uh, list. You made that. Uh, interestingly, last mm -hmm. week I had uh, Zach Liu on the, on the show, which is also ah. on the Forbes 30 under 30. So two in a row. I'm really honored and really blessed <laughs> uh, to have you on the show today. Thanks so much. No worries. The honor is mine. <laughs> so um, we want to talk about entrepreneurship today. Uh, and uh, while you're still at a very young age, your journey basically started very, very, very early. I mean, there's a lot of stories around that we can find already. Starting at seven or eight, you started to sell uh, paper in schools and things like that. That's right. Um, what you also mentioned, like that was not really the trigger, but what I wanted to know is, uh, what is your point of view is like, entrepreneurship is that something that you must have in your blood or is it something you can really learn that's a very good question and i get asked that quite a bit you know because when people speak to me they say hey jen you know for you to start at such a young age you must have it in your blood you know because at seven or eight i don't know what i'm doing i'm probably just plumbling around having fun in life but you are doing all these things it must be in your blood uh well truth be told if it, it was really in my blood uh, then probably I would have went a lot further than where I am right now because if you logically look at how my life was set out to be, right? Uh, I didn't come from any entrepreneurship background. I did not do anything in business. In fact, I wasn't interested in business. I didn't have a certain uh, angle towards how to do your own marketing, how to do sales. I'm naturally very introverted. So if you go back in time and tell me that, hey, Jen, you know, somewhere in the near future, you'll be speaking on the TEDx stage, I'll say that that's absolute nonsense. It will never happen. Just put me behind a curtain, you know. I never want to see anybody. So I, I, I didn't have the typical entrepreneurial traits that many people mm -hmm. would say, you know, charismatic, natural salesperson, extroverted, all of that does not describe me. Mm -hmm. So I would say that it's definitely not uh, part of me or it's not, part of my blood but it's more of something I believe that over the years it was a series of events or sequence of different things that happened that triggered parts of this entrepreneurship traits that eventually it became a journey that I've never looked back ever since and uh, a very successful one also uh, we uh, talk about the, the the successes a little bit later that came but um, as with many or many entrepreneurs uh, people mostly see the success only they don't see the struggle the pain and the hard work you put in something like that so um, we come back to the success a little bit later uh, when you just said um, you started at like seven, eight. Also, um, you had a TEDx talk, which was about encouragement. And uh, there was one situation like when you were at school and uh, the teacher effectively like talk about you and saying like, you, you're never going to to make it right. That is like, okay, yep. yeah, that, that is a crazy thing uh, to think back. Maybe was that more like of a, a wake up call for you or was it more like a motivation? It's like, oh, like I, I want to show this teacher like what I can really <laughs> do or how I can make it. 
I think it's more of the second one. I think it was more of a, a motivation, a driving force for me to, to do better. But I must confess that when that was said at that point of time, uh, it only made my life worse, right? Because it was parents' teacher's day <laughs> and my parents were there. The report card is open. And then this teacher is telling me and my parents that, hey, your son is not going to make it, right? Imagine the horror on my parents' face. As growing up from a typical Asian family, this could only mean more time at home, more time facing the books, more tuition and added classes, right? And my, my life really just turned <laughs> the other way around. But uh, yeah, it, it was a really crazy kind of a period of time. But the motivation honestly didn't just mm. kick in right away. To be honest, at that mm. point of time, I mean, I was only at about 9, 10 years old, right? So to yeah, me, it's like, yeah. okay, so what? I mean, it's not to say that I'm failing everything. I'm just not as good as my classmates. But right now, my parents are putting me in all these situations. But I think the motivation eventually kicked in slightly later, about a couple of years in, when I started asking myself, what is it that I really want? And then mm -hmm. all these flashbacks starts coming back, right? Yes, the time where I started selling paper when I was seven, eight years old, all the way up to the teacher telling me that I wouldn't be successful in life. This whole mix of situations kind of then spur me on to say, hey, maybe it's time for me to start something on my own. So yes, it is, yeah, it yeah. is a form of motivation. Uh, in fact, I also don't mind sharing that uh, just a couple of years back, I decided to pay a visit to the teacher, right? So the, old, the whole bunch of us, the classmates, uh, all decided to pay a visit to the teacher. I haven't seen the teacher for many years. I thought, okay, let me just go and say hello, you know? And wow, a total change of... Uh, perspective and view and conversations with the teacher after so many years <laughs> so how, how was his uh, reaction anyway i mean did he uh, remember you as like the kid that he thought like you will never make it or is it or did you have to remind <laughs> him it's like hey remember <laughs> nah I, i didn't go and poke fun at him right he, he's already rather old at age but well i i don't know if he remembers what he said because obviously he's, it's affecting me more than him uh but he seemed very happy and proud that you know all of us including myself that have uh, made it this far in life so yeah good for him <laughs> awesome, <yeah. laughs> that's the right way to do <laughs> Uh, so, so you just mentioned like um, at the latest stage only that came like the the point or the trigger for you where you figured out what what you wanted to with uh, with your life. Well, uh, you remember at what age that was more or less? Actually, that happened at the age of seventeen. Right? So I went through mm -hmm. the entire high school life, uh, really just going through a very normal student life. So if you ask me. That was a time where there wasn't really sparks of entrepreneurship and whatnot. There were very small instances where I traded stuff like I was into this trading card game and I, I traded some cards. I played a bit of games and uh, uh, sold some in-game items, you know, made a bit of thing. But, but it wasn't really like a business business. It wasn't like selling paper back then, right? This was just because I'm doing it, I happen to be a little bit better and then I'm trying to sell this to other players. Um, by the age of 17, when I, the, the, I remember that moment very clearly because it was really in college. It was my first semester in college. And when I enrolled into it, I decided, hey, this is where you know, things get real, right? Everybody says that this is the stepping stone to your career and all that. And that really got me thinking. And, and college fees was expensive. I, I wasn't smart enough to get a scholarship and whatnot, right? So everything was paid uh, by my parents. I needed to return the favor and all of that. 
So I started thinking, if I'm going to spend the next three to four years over here, I might as well do the best I can. And I started weighing the options, right? So I asked myself, hey, Jen, what are the few ways that you can really stand out as a student? So number one, obviously, is to do good in the studies. Get a perfect GPA, you know, first-class honours, come out, go into a big four, join a big company or whatnot, a huge tech firm, and, and be happy or something like that. Um, but I thought, well, but I'm not that great of a student to begin with, right? My track record shows that I can't do well in just studies alone. So I thought, how do I differentiate myself? Because even if I could do well my studies, my friends that are perhaps can achieve similar things as well. So I thought, okay, maybe I should be active in the school clubs. You know, there are so many activities. Maybe if I'm a student council president, you know, that would put a nice ring to my CV. And I thought, meh, you know, Anybody can do something like that. It's, it's not that unique. Then I thought, okay, let's look outwardly then. What else can I do? Then, of course, you've got the usual part-time and freelance jobs, right? Maybe I could be a part-time web developer. I could be a part-time barista. I could be one of those at the, at the physical event. Oh, how I miss physical events. But physical events, giving out flyers, getting people to sign up for stuff, um, which are things where I thought it's open to everybody out there. It wouldn't make a dent in my CV, you know? And mm -hmm. I thought, what is it then that I can do? And that's where I thought, hey, maybe I could just build something, do something that I think I would enjoy doing and make some money out of it. I mean, that, that's about it. You know, let me learn a skill, try doing something and that would just make me different because all my friends are not doing it. So it was yeah. a simple thought of just wanting to be different. I, I, I didn't even think of it from a perspective of I want to start a company. It wasn't mm. even a company. To me, it was just, let me just try something out. Mm. And that yeah. was the birth of my so-called first business, which was pretty much just formatting PCs for my friends. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, that's an interesting uh, aspect that you that you mentioned right now and the motivation. Um, I, I thought you can share a little bit more on, you said like, just do something that you really like to do. And when we look at like the, the ventures and the company that you created, they are maybe somehow linked somewhere, right? But they are mm -hmm. in very different industries, right? Okay, you started with like the hardware sales and then the, the data recoveries, but you went also yeah. in many other things like um, now you, you're into uh, marketing and digital marketing, this kind of things. Mm -hmm. um, but I think throughout all of these ventures, I I think to understand that you always said that was like what you wanted to do or what you wanted to mm -hmm. learn and didn't just sit down and learn about it. Is that for you like the number one thing that you recommend? It's like whatever you do, do something that you really, really are passionate and about and that you like doing also. Like not not going from like the customer's problem or like from your great invention that you have in mind, but something that you really like to do. Mm -hmm. uh, personally, I really believe uh, in, in this path, not because that it's not important to first study the customer or be able to forecast trends. I think all those are very good business elements to be considered as well. But I always believe that as an individual starting out with entrepreneurship, it's sometimes a lot easier to start with something that you naturally already have some sort of passion or interest in. The only reason is this, because when you get into it, you'll be open to a world that there are a lot of other things that you won't like doing. For example, in my case, I hate finance. 
right? Accounting and finance is will be the death of me, right? I, I didn't <laughs> like that part of the business. I didn't like the part. I told you I was introvert, right? So I didn't like right. the part of needing to pitch to a client. I didn't like the part that I needed to market myself. I didn't mm-hmm. like yeah. the part where I needed to deal with people, deal with suppliers. Th- those were the not so fun things for me. But what I was very passionate was, was really pretty much on technology alone. That's why it's very right that you say that a lot of these uh, companies have started. Yes, they belong into different industries, but they all have some sort of a technological link uh, towards it. So to me, it's that because of that passion towards that one thing, so I don't mind doing the work. The rest are things where I do because I don't have a choice. But imagine if someone were to go into a business and hates the idea, right? It's a good product. That is a very clear customer segment, but you absolutely hate the product, right? You don't like the industry. You don't like the service. You don't really believe in it. You're just doing it because somebody wants to buy it from you. Now, I don't want to go to work or have my team meetings every day saying, ah, yeah, Mm, another day. Yeah, the money is there, but I really hate the meetings. I really hate the trends. I really hate everything's going forward. I, I don't see that as a good purpose or driving force mm-hmm. in uh, building a business. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, I mean, it makes, of course, it makes sense. Uh, still, I see it uh, in many areas or you come across people, right, that are just like, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, okay, you, you, um, you're very open about the companies that you started, the companies also that you closed down or it did not continue. At the very earliest stages, you just mentioned like the hardware that you, you started with. And uh, I think you also uh, had a shop or you plan to have a shop at Law Yacht. Um, which yeah. you soon thereafter closed and changed your ideas and uh, you went into the data recovery. And I think the mm-hmm. fundamental difference that I uh, understood from the two businesses was like the competition. I mean, Law Yacht, um, mm-hmm. for those who have not been there, is like a huge hardware, uh, IT hardware uh, store. I, I cannot even remember how many floors, like 12 or something like that. Um, there are mm-hmm. dozens or hundreds of hardware vendors, right? So everyone is basically yes. your, your competitor. While the data recovery that you started was like, there was no competitor at all. So mm-hmm. what was that like really the trigger that you said like, okay, the too many competition, that's not working. I'm, I'm looking for something like there is no competition at all. Yes. In, in fact, I think this this particular mindset of mine has always been there right uh, if you recall just minutes ago we were talking about me 17 years old in college trying to create add something to my cv that my competition meaning my fellow peers would not have and then i started my company right and it's the exact same situation where uh, when i reached a point of time where i was ready to start up this shop in laoyat and when i actually went to laoyat and surveyed what's going on and that's that same feeling clicked right it's like everybody is selling the same thing and when you talk about computer hardwares right i mean how different a computer hardware could be i mean there's only so many hard disk brands or uh, ram brands or monitor brands you can ever get so everybody is selling the same thing at different prices right and it's a price war and i really didn't like the ecosystem where i, I don't know whether you're aware but some of these companies within Laoya, they all belong to the same owner, right? So they open multiple stores at oh. different levels. Okay. And yeah. they, put, they price it differently just so to see 
who it ends up at their store, right? So I, I really didn't like the environment. And I thought to myself, look, I'm, I, I'm really interested in this hardware industry. I'm really interested in technology, but this really isn't for me. I needed something that is different once again. And then when I started looking around, I happened to just stumble upon this thing called data recovery, right? At that point of time, I had no knowledge on data recovery. All I know was the conceptual, how it works, what it's supposed to do. But I decided that, hey, this is something that I could potentially offer because there were no competitors within this region at that point of time. And that's what exactly I did. I started, in fact, I built the website first and then I started uh, referring to YouTube videos and articles on Google to actually teach me the skills on how do I do it. Then I experimented as I go along. And soon that became quite a successful business uh, considering that was my second venture. Yeah, <laughs> that's cool. An awesome, an awesome story. And uh, uh, in the end, until today, you founded uh, eight companies, I think, or around eight companies. Mm -hmm. um, some are uh, still around, some not. Uh, Open Minds is... Uh, uh, one of the earlier ones, I think since 2009, uh, which you still have, it's a, a multi-million dollar company in the meantime, which is a, is a great thing. Other companies, as I mentioned, came and then went. Uh, some some mm -hmm. others are also also there. How much did like the mistakes or the, the failures that you had with some of the companies uh, uh, a learning effect on what you build next. I mean, can you say it's like it's purely all the errors I took and that's why I made it better? Or is it like uh, maybe it's a 50-50, I'm happy about the failures that uh, or the things that I learned, but it's not really that relevant in the end? I think it's, it's a mix. I think it depends on the situation and the season of the business where the percentage actually shifts a little bit because... Uh, Open Minds has been around for quite a number of years, almost a decade. And that means that we have also went through few cycles, few major cycles or few major milestones of a startup, right? Especially the third year, the fifth year, and the seventh year. These are all the death years that many companies uh, tend to report themselves. Oh, yeah, right. And the thing is that every yeah, <laughs> okay. and, and when we outgrow some of these years, uh, the, the learnings are very different mm -hmm. compared to some of the companies that I have. But I'm... Yeah. Very blessed to also say that the, a lot of the mistakes that I made in the past definitely contributed in forming a stronger foundation when building open minds. For example, mm -hmm. there was one point of time I was juggling between three companies at one go. Three companies that I wanted to succeed, three companies that I'm putting equal amount of time, and guess what? Three of them died an equal amount of death. Right? Because that was the <laughs> time where I really, and really dawned upon me, right? Because at that time, I just enjoyed my success in the data recovery business, mm -hmm. which was great. And I thought that I've learned enough. I know how to scale a company. I know how to deal with it. I'm good at this whole entrepreneurship startup thing, right? Then, yeah, that's a great idea. Let's do it. Great idea. Let's do it. Great idea. Three at one go. I thought it was just a matter of sacrificing. Mm -hmm. But then with the failure of these three companies, then dawned upon me and look, it's impossible to have focus on three separate things. It's not just a matter of time. It's the matter of where, sounds very cliche right now, but where your passion is or where your focus and your goal is for each individual company. It's difficult to split into three ways. So that's one thing I learned and I decided that I'll never do something as stupid like that again. Although it sounded cool. Three companies at one point of time, man. Yeah. Uh, no, stupid idea. Yeah, rub it off. And then uh, I also learned that it's very important 
especially within a partnership, to make upfront very clearly all the expectations you have for one another. I mean, it sounds very no-brainer, sounds like common sense, but what I found even in today's young founders as I chat with them, right? When I ask them the question of, hey, have you actually talked about equity and company expectations and personal expectations with your partners? Surprisingly, most of them don't. And the reason is this. The reason is the same reason I've experienced like 10, 15 years ago. And the reason is that, oh, because they're good friends, you know, I trust them. Wow. Mm-hmm. That trust doesn't exist. Let me t- no matter how close you are with that friend, things do go wrong. And I learned mm-hmm. a very hard way because in one of my companies, one of the three that failed in the early days, mm-hmm. um, until today, I've, it was a very good friend of mine. Uh, we grew up together, like literally we were childhood friends, uh, but we have not spoken for the past decade because of the failure of the company. Wow. Uh, I've lost yeah. great friends that way. And so mm-hmm. I told myself, look, if that's how business is going to be run, these talks, although very difficult, must be made clear very, very mm. upfront. It's not yeah, just yeah. about 50-50. It's about what is the vision that we collectively have for the company and your expectations as well. So if I am going to a business with you, Pat, right? My, my mm. question would be like, so what are you wanting to get out of this business? Are you planning to exit in one year? Are you mm-hmm. using this as a part-time platform? Are yep. you using this just as a side hustle kind of thing or to put mm-hmm. something nice on your CV? Or do you see this as, this is my end game. I'm wanting to bring this from zero to 1,000, you know, not yeah. even 100. Yeah. I'm going to go all out. And, and that means a lot uh, in that kind of conversation. So if anybody's watching this and wanting to start something, I would say really put this as your first priority. Don't even talk about your ideas yet. You know, don't go too deep. Settle this because the moment it clashes, uh, it's going to be a very, very painful death uh, moving forward with the business. Yeah, yeah. Understand. And you also like mess up your potentially long, long friendship, right? That uh, exactly. if, if you agree on all this stuff, you discuss it and it goes wrong, right? Maybe you can still move along. You can create another company together and uh, well, life continues. Yeah, that. Okay, that's yes, a very good point. Exactly. A, a very uh, good hint. I, I really like that. Um, let's let's move a little bit uh, forward um, due to the time. Uh, so you became very successful. The company became very successful. Uh, open Minds, I'm talking about. Um, and then 2017, that's a year I would like to talk about because you mentioned uh, in one of your blogs that became the longest year in your life. That was probably pre-2020. I don't know if you have to revise <laughs> it now. But 2017 seemed to be a, a tough or difficult year for you, even though that was the year when you received the, the Forbes Award. I think that was 2017. Mm -hmm. but you mentioned like or you had some sense inside that you said like you felt like kind of emptiness loneliness things like that that Mm -hmm. that seemed to be really like the down slope of or or, or like let's say the low of your career so far what what happened what what was the process you went through in in this year so well first and foremost you are somewhat right to say that that is because i haven't experienced 2020 yet right 2020 has a totally dif- different definition of long uh, but in 2017 in short what happened was that that in 2016 20, the, the years leading towards 2017 those were very good years those were years that uh, business is booming career-wise i was really growing 
I was getting the recognition that we are looking for within the region and globally, we were establishing uh, subsidiaries all over the places. We were in Kazakhstan, we were trying to establish ourselves in Singapore, in Hong Kong, many countries, mm, right? And yeah, we have clients yes, globally yeah. and all of that. So many things were happening. And I think that was the time where I kind of lost myself through the process. You know, growing up, I've always heard of this thing called ego. And I thought it was just some airy-fairy thing that, yeah, as long you know you know what you're doing, you'll be fine. And I thought I'll never be caught into this bubble. But I did. Subconsciously, I fell into that trap as well. I was in a mental state. I mean, I, I was only able to identify all of this after I came out of it. But during that point of time, I, I thought everything was okay. I thought everything was under control. I thought that I know what I was doing. I was making the right decisions. I, I knew every step was purposeful. There was an end goal. There's a clear objective. But all that piled up on retrospective right now, they're all just decisions made on ego. That was the year where none, okay, I wouldn't say none, but most of the major decisions that I've made actually came crashing down from the level of business, from the level of relationships, and uh, on a personal life as well, this three, this combination of three things uh, came crashing down that made me uh, basically lost my position within the company, lost trust among friends, lost great friends that we have probably grown up together, lost very precious uh, relationships as well. And to some extent, even to even... Uh, sour the relationship between myself and my own family and to the extent where I decided that it's time for me to move out and have a space on my own so that I can just recuperate on my own. Um, it was a collective of really bad decisions on all this front that really made 2017 very, very difficult. That was the year I told myself, hey, look, uh, I really need time for myself. I took a break from the businesses that I was involved in and uh, back then we could travel. So thankfully it's not this year. I, I, I was traveling quite a bit just to really reposition myself again before slowly picking up the pieces. But it was a really, really long year. Wow. Wow. That was uh, just very impressive. Uh, thank, thanks so much for sharing. Uh, so open and honestly, um, yeah, what you went through and obviously you went through it. I think uh, that you figured out something was wrong or these decisions that you made were purely egoistic. Um, also mm -hmm. proved that like you grew with that and um, well, you came out stronger from that. Um, your companies grew with that probably also. And I hope you could fix all like the things that messed up with your, your family and your friends during that time also. Company-wise, I understood it was really. Um, no time to mm -hmm. talk about Roundup, which is another company that you funded, uh, founded, um, which is more based on the on the data analytics in in into marketing, mm -hmm. uh, and I see that the companies in the end like uh, benefit from each other. I think once you mentioned also you never used marketing or you never paid for marketing for any of your companies because you always used like open minds uh, services. Um, so so that's the connection I see between between the companies. Um, how did from your perspective, uh, marketing change now over the past, 
what 12 years or 11 years that you were running this business what was the maybe one fundamental change that you also had to do in your company to make sure uh, the marketing service that you're offering also like find the find the customer mm. That's a very good one because when I look back in the past many years of me running companies and marketing myself and my company, what I realized was that the fundamental of marketing actually has not changed. Meaning that the approach of marketing, the way you would plan for marketing actually did not change much. It's still very much on uh, finding the relevance with your customers. It's all about using the right message, Uh, establishing the right value, building the rapport with customers, that, that, that level has never changed. But what has been changing like crazy, right? Every day there's some sort of a new development is the technological layer on it. Back then, it was Friendster. Everybody thought Friendster was the king of social media and would never go away. Same goes to ICQ and RRC in the back then, right? But then Facebook <laughs> came in. And when Facebook came in, that wasn't enough. Then, then you have guys like, Twitter, guys like Instagram, guys like Pinterest, and then now TikTok, right? But mm -hmm. fundamentally, if you were to just take away all the different features of these platforms, you will realize that the concept of reaching to your customers through marketing remains the same. It's still mm -hmm. how you're able to bring your company or your services or products, package it into a more consumer-friendly, consumer-understandable way that is relatable to them rather than speaking about company jargons, technology jargons that confuses customers but to align yourself with them. So the only thing that I've seen change is tech. But other than that, I think the fundamentals have not changed much. And that is why uh, I was able to replicate some of these so-called successes in terms of marketing mm -hmm. or positioning from one company to the same yeah. to the other companies uh, throughout the many years. Mm, okay, impressive. Thank you so much, Chan. The time was very, very uh, passed very, very quickly. I, I just look at yes, the watch and I was like, wow, the half hour is already gone. That's, that's really awesome. Um, what I want to mention also mentioned before, I, rec I can recommend like the TEDx talk that you did. Um, I watched that uh, this week in preparation for uh, this uh, wow. uh, podcast. I, I really like that. I can recommend it. I put the link, of course, in uh, this video or the descriptions. Um, maybe final words from you, uh, Jan. What you is your recommendation, your motivational words uh, to all of us for 2021? Because it's soon, right? Less than two months. Yeah, less than two months. How time flies. I, I was just thinking about this just minutes before our podcast recording today. I was just thinking that in March when we had the lockdown, I joked around saying that, hey guys, see you during after Christmas. And right now it's almost Christmas. It's insane. <laughs> uh, but one, one quote that has stuck with me for the many years is this quote that says that uh, your mindset determines the size of the life game you play. I think I mentioned this within the TEDx talk as well. Your mindset determines the size of the life game you play. I think it's more so than ever in this season, going through the pandemic, going to 2021, uh, it's very important to have a mindset that is beyond yourself. Rather, I know everybody's talking about surviving, survivability, stay alive, stay afloat, and we have a lot of conversations around staying afloat and staying alive. But I think staying alive and staying afloat is insufficient to move towards 2021. I think it's time 
where we just look at what we have, what we can do, set that kind of a mindset to say, hey, I'm broadening my horizon. I'm coming out. I'm trying to do a little bit more than what I'm doing right now. Instead of playing 100% defensive, it's time to go offensive again. I think if all of us can put together the mindset, uh, moving to 2021 could be a lot more exciting, less doom and gloom, and perhaps even more positivity as we start the new year. Awesome. Thank you very much for this uh, closing remarks. I really appreciate uh, your time, John, and uh, sharing your awesome knowledge and experience in uh, uh, entrepreneurship. Thank you so much. Thank you, Pat. I had a lot of fun. <laughs> and thanks uh, to the audience for watching this video or listening to it. Uh, hope you liked it. It was insightful uh, for you too. And then I see you next week for a new episode of Pat's Chat. Thanks. Have a great day.